This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. the amazing grace of God in order to have peace. You will never have peace without the grace of God. And that's why Paul says grace and peace. You see, saints, because we have been saved by grace, you and I have been saved by grace. We've done nothing to deserve it. We now have this peace. And this peace is in a person. It's in the person, Jesus Christ. Do you remember how much internal restlessness and distress you felt before you knew the Lord? All of humanity yearns to be at peace and have forgiveness of sin. As Pastor Eddie continues his teaching series, he'll be explaining how you can only have peace if you first experience salvation by the grace of God. This is why Paul starts most of his letters with grace and peace to you, because he knows you need grace first. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, as he continues his message, Greetings from the Apostle Paul. Now for you and I, we, we look at grace differently. We consider grace to be different because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. But if you were Greek back in those days, grace meant it was just a greeting. That's all it was. It was just a, gre- it was just a greeting. But we understand grace points to Jesus Christ. Grace to us is different. For example, do you deserve the eternal life that God has offered you? No, you don't. Have you done anything to be saved? No, you did not. The reason why you have Christ and you're saved is by grace and grace alone. That's what the scripture tells us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He said, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we have grace. We have this unmerited, undeserved unearned favor in Christ. We've done nothing to have eternal life. And that's something that Christians must understand. We need to revisit it, revisit this every now and then because we need to realize (laughs) the grace that we're living in right now. I'm a believer. I'm saved because of his grace. It's because of the grace of God. Now, if you want to study this grace a little bit more, understand the wrath of God. See, we don't understand grace until we understand the wrath of God. Christians don't like to hear that. Many of the pulpits don't want to preach about the wrath of God. God is loving. He's patient. Yes, he's kind. Why does his love and grace? We've been singing that. But God is also a God of wrath. And we don't understand grace unless we understand the wrath of God. Just picture, if you don't understand what the wrath of God is, just picture 
the cross. The wrath that Christ took because of your sin. He took the wrath of God. That was the wrath of God. But the whole world tells us, it is historians, they find uh, recorded accounts of the whole earth being dark during the time when Christ gave up his spirit. Those are the sins of the world that was upon him. It was the wrath of God. And once you understand that, you realize you appreciate grace. And I learned this at very young, at a young age. And that's why it's important, parents, you know, you need to raise up your child well. My father was a strict father. Yes, he was. And I knew no matter everything I did, I was going to get a beating. <laughs> My father disciplined me. He by no means spared the rod at all. I remember one time I did something that's deserving. I knew I was going to get it. My father came home and I said, here it is. I'm getting ready now. You know, just stuffing my pants so it won't hurt me to hurt that much. <laughs> Putting super layers of clothes. But he tells me, I got a letter from your teacher. Don't let it happen again. I'm like, <clears throat> I realize that was grace. I deserve to be disciplined. But that was grace. So we're talking about the grace of God. And here you find that the grace is changed differently from that time. So Paul uh, shared this grace. He also incorporated with the peace, which is shalom. It's mentioned 92 times uh, in the New Testament, not out of shalom. It's irene. In, in the Greek, peace is irene. It's mentioned 92 times in the New Testament. Is mentioned multiple times in the Old Testament. But the Jews still use this greeting today, shalom. You go to Israel, shalom. You greet, you say hello, shalom. You say goodbye, shalom. And it's a peace. But the peace is a different peace. It's not a worldly peace. It's a peace of God. Now, you will always, here's another important thing about this, and you probably, many of you already know this, but you always see these two together, but you always find grace before peace. And Paul does this many times in his opening, many of his letters. He, he, he opens grace and peace in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2, Philippians chapter 1, verse 2, Colossians chapter 1, verse 2, here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2, and Philippians chapter, uh, Philemon chapter 3. I hope you got that down. But anyway, you'll always see these two together, and you always will see grace, peace. Never will you find peace, and there's grace, because it's theological. Paul created this greeting. It's theological. Because you need the amazing grace of God in order to have peace. You will never have peace without the grace of God. And that's why Paul says grace and peace. You see, saints, because we have been saved by grace, you and I have been saved by grace. We've done nothing to deserve it. We now have this peace. And this peace is in a person. It's in the person, Jesus Christ. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For he, speaking of Jesus himself, is our peace. And this is something we need to examine in our lives as believers in Jesus. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, then I can understand. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you should never say that you lack or that you lost peace. 
As a Christian, you can never say you lost or lack peace. You can never say that because peace is in a person. That person's in your heart. You struggle. Yes, we fall, we get up, the Holy Spirit, God helps us. But peace, never, never believe or never let the enemy cause you to believe that you have lost or do not have peace. If any time that you feel that you lack or you lost it, you need to get on your knees. And you need to see what the, you need to understand who Christ is in your life. You never will lose or lack peace. It is through Christ and what the Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. He said, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind through who? Jesus Christ. And so we have this peace. But again, as Paul's greeting, one must know the grace of God, receive the grace of God through his son, Jesus Christ, in order to experience or have peace, to have peace with God. This is something the world is in desperate need right now. And that's why this lawlessness, there is no peace. There are riots. There's division. There's hatred is on another level. The problem is that they're seeking peace in all the wrong places. Even Jesus, when he came, he said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And you may say, wait a minute, that's kind of contradicting here. <laughs> Jesus said, wait, no, Jesus is saying, I did not come to bring peace. It's not about a worldly peace. But he's talking about there's going to be a division because of him. There's going to be a division because you believe in Jesus Christ. Because you don't compromise, you will be challenged by your family. You'll be challenged by your loved ones, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers. Because of Jesus Christ, that's the sword that's going to divide. The gospel, the word of God, will divide, especially if you don't compromise the word of God. You stand firm to the word of God, regardless of what the world says is right. You say, no, it's wrong because the Bible said so. And you don't compromise. There's going to be division. There's going to be division. Peace is not in a place. Peace is not in drugs, people, security on your portfolio, whatever investments you've made in, 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 in insurance and in money and things. Peace is in a person, in Christ and in Christ alone. Now we get to verses 2 and 4, two, verses 2 to 4, and Paul prays for the Thessalonians, but he's praying and giving God thanks for their faith and good example. Let's look at verse 2, and Paul says, We give thanks to God always for you, for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Here Paul is giving thanks to God, for it is God who did the work in Thessalonica. It was God who sent them there. It was God who birthed the church. It is God who's continuing to be with the believers in Thessalonica, the, the Thessalonians in God. And so Paul is praying daily, earnestly, with Silas and Timothy for his friends in Thessalonica, and he's thanking God for the work of salvation that has been brought to their lives and their testimony and how they continue to love one another in the midst of persecution. 
And that's something that we need to do. We need to thank God for one another. I know we, we pray for ourselves, we pray for our health and finance, and I know we pray for family, but you know, we forget to pray for the family of God. Each and every one of us, we, I don't know how many of us know each other. You may know uh, someone in the fellowship here by face or by name, first name. You may know a few, you may know a dozen, you may know three dozen, you may know a hundred, but whatever the case may be, please pray for one another. We ought to be praying for each other. We ought to be praying for the church. And I ask, and I appreciate, I get a lot of people that say, I pray for you, Pastor, and, and trust me, you know, the bullseye is on the back of the, of the shepherd, right? The scripture said, strike the shepherd, and the, the sheep will scatter, right? And I appreciate that, but I would ask that you would equally pray for one another. That's what the Bible tells us. We ought to pray for one another. If you, if, if, if you don't know their name, God knows who they are. You say, Lord, the, the sister that I was having a conversation with, bless her, you know her name. Or the brother that I met at the store, at the shop, and we, we knew each other we, with familiar faces, brought out, it caught our attention because you knew we had fellowship with one another. Pray for one another. Take the time to pray for one another. This is what Paul's doing. He says every time he makes mention. Whether church is doing good or bad, pray. Paul prayed when they were doing good, so they would continue to do well. You know, there's so many things we are to be thankful for. So many things, but what happens is we get so consumed with the problem that we don't, our minds get fogged, and we can't think clearly to, to look at the things we ought to be thankful for. There are so many things to be thankful for. Matthew Henry is one of the great Bible commentators of the 17th century. He once was attacked by thieves and robbed, robbers. They, they robbed him of his money purse. I say that lightly because I cannot picture a man with a purse today, but that's what they called it. It was a money pouch. But anyway, when he was robbed, this is what he wrote the night of, of his... Uh, the, the day that he was robbed. He wrote this in his diary. He wrote this. Let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took everything, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed I'll be honest with you, I can't even think of one thing when something bad happens to me. One thing good. He's been robbed, and he found four things to be thankful for. I think if you really have a thankful heart, you will find something to be thankful for. Paul writes, as a matter of fact, in this letter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, he says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks to God always in prayer for everything. That's his will for your life. And quite often we think of a will or anything that I could be successful at, anything that's going to benefit me. But the will of God, the will of God for your life, one of the will of God is for you to be thankful. And when we pray for one another, give thanks for the ministry. I mean, 
I don't know about you, but I think many of us could actually observe those who are serving in the house of God. How many times you come across uh, those that are greeting ushers? How many times you sign in your child uh, for your, you know, at, at the, the children's ministry? How many times you sat in here and, and, and you appreciate the ministry of the worship team? Thank God for the gifts and the ministry of those that are serving. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's going to pinpoint. Now he's thanking God for this church, but he's, he's going to mention some of their qualities here. He, in verse, verse 3, he says, Remembering without ceasing, number one, your work of faith. Number two, labor of love. Number three, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. So here Paul's not only praying for them, he's praying for them all the time, but he's praying. He's praying for their faith that works, their labor that loved, and their hope that endured. Three of the great Christian virtues is evident in this church, and we could see it was fruitful. Because, I think they were fruitful because of God, but they were their love for the Lord that they're willing to go through persecution and continue in their faith. It was evident their love, their faith, love, and hope. Or sometimes you hear it say faith, hope, and love. You probably have one of those uh, Christian decor in your house that has faith, hope, and love. Here it is. It should be the quality of a Christian. It should be the quality of a church. And so Paul, in prayer, he prayed for their work of faith. Their faith of the believer there at Thessalonica had produced true repentance and they believed in Christ. It's a work, not the work unto salvation. Because you're saved, you're doing the work of God. When Jesus was at the other side of the Sea of Galilee, a group of men wanted to know what they needed to do, what work they needed to do in order to please God. It says in John chapter 6, verses 29 and 28, they asked Jesus, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work. Here it is. This is the work of God that you believe in him who he sent. That's simple. Simple enough. Just believe in him. Paul Prayed and remember in their prayer, he remembered their labor of love. The Thessalonians' love for Christ resulted in their love for service, to serve others, to care for others, to be a part of the ministry in the midst of persecution. You know, Christ set the example in serving. When he came and he left this throne, he set the example of, you know, through his love for the world to be crucified. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, the hymn, I Surrender All. When we came to Christ, we were convicted by the Holy Spirit. We came to the cross. It's not to say, Lord, I accept you now, but it's for you to say, I surrender all. I give my life to you. I repent. I turn my life around. I now serve you. You are my Lord. You are my God. I surrender it all. And, and, and in that surrender, there is ministry. 
service to one another in love in the midst of trials and tribulations. Here, the next thing Paul remembers is their patience of hope. Their patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, he says. And even though that they did not fully understand about the coming of the Lord, they were concerned about their, their beloved ones who, who died in their faith, who are now uh, asleep, and that's the reason for this letter. They fixed their eyes on the Lord. They were anticipating his return. Whether they thought he was going to come today, that's good. That's even though we look back and say, those that's only 2,000 years ago, you know, they were expecting Christ at that time. That's foolish. No, that's the right heart. Because that's the way we are to be thinking of the coming of Christ. It could come any day. Every prophecy concerning the end time, when you study eschatology, every prophecy that needed to be fulfilled before the coming of, of the, the rapture of the church has been fulfilled. The only thing that has not been fulfilled is the rapture of the church and then the great tribulation, the millennial kingdom, and then God returning with Christ and the new heaven and the new earth. Everything has been fulfilled. Let's look at verse 4 and we're coming to a close. He said, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Faith, love, and hope. Evidence of the election it is God who elects. The word elect here is electos. It means to be chosen. And who does God elect? Very simple. Everyone who has repented and believed in him. <laughs> I'm not going to get into it. We don't have the time for it. But we could do a whole study on this. But it is through God's foreknowledge that you have been elected. God knows the end. God has the book of life. He knows whose name is in there. He knew that from the foundation. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, we're chosen from the beginning. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. It says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Jesus said in John chapter 15 verse 16, you did not choose me, but I choose you. In other words, putting things in priority. Because we love him because what? He first loved us. It always begins with God. It begins and ends with him. First. Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I leave you with one more verse. Revelation chapter 17, verse 14. Those who had placed their faith in Christ. And it says, He is the Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. You've been listening to Running the Race with Pastor Eddie. We've been looking at some useful and applicable things in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Toward the end of this book, there are some verses that might be viewed as a test or a challenge depending on what you're going through. The author of this letter, the Apostle Paul, says to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and in everything to give thanks. Do you have much to be thankful and grateful for today? Be reminded that Jesus coming back someday is the greatest reason to rejoice. It's a hope that you can hold on to when the rest of the world is hopeless. We're so glad you joined us today for Running the Race. Are you in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area? 
If so, Jessica has an invitation for you. We'd love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel of Milford. We're conveniently located off Interstate 84 and Route 6. For service times and all the information you need, visit runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Back to Homepage button. While you're there, you can listen to this teaching again or explore more messages from Pastor Eddie. Again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks, Jessica. On our website, we also have some helpful resources to assist you in what you're learning or how you're studying the Bible. Just click on the Study Helps tab at runningtheraceradio.com. We're so glad you tuned in today, and we look forward to the next edition of Running the Race.